Dios en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González, Orlando, la torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas. Chale, Mifrin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León. Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la serie. Welcome back to the Fruity Walks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Birdie, and I'm joining you here again after a two-week absence. Whatever, I'm back. That's what matters. If it's not a little bit sick, that's why, because I am, so... But anyways, I'm joined by uh, the only person that's joining me today is Peter Galindo up in Toronto, Canada. How are you, Peter? Yeah, doing well. I am not sick, and I hopefully sound okay. So uh, we can we can get this started, I guess. All right. This is going to be uh, well. The last few pods I've been on, anyways, have been about uh, Clausula stuff mostly and uh, Laos relegation. But today it's going to be all national team because the the, the Clausula kind of been going slow. And there's not been much changes since the last time we've talked. So, so yeah, we're going to talk about Peru, Chile, and Peru versus the USA. First of all, my brief thoughts on these matches before we can start talking about them. I'm a lot more confident for these games than I was last month. Well, last month I wasn't very confident in general, but I didn't think it would be as bad as it was. Uh, this time, I'm, co- I'm confident it's not going to be that bad. I'm confident there will be an atrocity better performance. Most of our players have gone playing time again. Uh, except for Miguel Trauco, which is kind of a funny case, but we'll we'll go on to it later. Utalo seems to have won himself a starting spot. He got a, he even got a goal against Besiktas. I mean, in Portugal, I can't remember how many times he got goals against the big three. Took him one attempt at Turkey, and it was the last minute goal. It's a starter, so it, he did well. He he's taking it. Uh, he's taking his cup games, and uh, it's one one place in the first team. Then there's Cueva, who played as a false nine with Krasnodar against Sevilla. Didn't get a goal or an assist, but apparently he had an amazing game. I've he did. From, from that Peter. Then there's Arincula, who I think it's a bit far-fetched to call him the best right back in South America at the moment, but he's definitely the most underrated. Trauco, he got his chance. He started impressing. Uh, you have to look at the numbers between him and Rene. I mean, they were just overwhelmingly uh, – Trauco was just overwhelmingly better because he had, like, five games. He did four assists, which Rene had two or three in 23 games. So Tranco was starting to get playing time again. The manager gets sacked, Toribio Jr. comes in, and Tranco goes straight back to the bench. So he's been unlucky. He has been. And it's funny because in the three or four or in the three games, excuse me, that he started back to back to back, he actually improved with each game, kind of showing that, hey, with playing time and consistency, he is actually a very good left back. That's, still what, some, that's what I was saying. That's what I've been saying the last few pods as well. But I will say this, though. Defensively, still a lot of question marks. He did not close down opposing defenders in the Corinthians game, for instance, and that led to a goal. Um, he did get turned around a couple of times because he was a little bit over-eager with his challenges. But I will say that his play going forward, which it always is, was very positive. The only negative to the offensive side of his game was the crossing was a bit off. Then generally speaking, his distribution was quite good, and he did dominate that left-hand side, which we are so accustomed to seeing when he plays for Peru. So that was the good thing. It's unfortunate that he got benched after playing three straight games, um, but maybe now that he at least has a little bit of match fitness under his belt, maybe he ends up performing a little bit better in these friendlies coming up. Yeah, no, he needs to. I mean, defensively, he was never that good, but we, it was always made up for with the uh, offensive support or the supportive play, which we haven't seen since March, I want to say. Since March of this year, we haven't really seen that. The World Cup, you know, he had spells where he was okay, but we haven't seen the real Trauco since the March finals against Croatia and Iceland. 
I think we'll start seeing that again. Uh, maybe not to that extent, but he started gaining momentum. So I think it's very important for these friendlies. I guess I've already said my takes on these players, Peter. What what are your some of your takes? The only one that really still worries me is Yotun. What about you? Yeah, agreement there. I've been a Yotun critic now for a year. Everybody who listens to the podcast or reads my articles knows this. Hurtado, I'm pretty sure, never once scored against Ostres Grandes uh, in Portugal. I'm pretty sure. He might have scored one off a penalty. So the fact that he starts against Besiktas in a massive game, it must be said, and he deserved that start. He's been in terrific form off the bench the last three or four games. The fact that he was able to get that winner and also create a couple of chances of his own in that game, he was everywhere on that right-hand side, operating as a playmaker, as he often does for club. Um, but tended to drift to the right-hand side, which he's used to doing, and he was a menace out there against Besiktas. Um, and same thing with with the the Cup games, the Europa League. He's been outstanding just in terms of his... just the way that he kind of grabs the game by the scruff of the neck and has really capitalized on his opportunities, and it led to a start, which is good to see. And I think playing for Konyaspor in the Turkish Super League, I think it's a little bit better than the situation he had when it came to playing for a team in Portugal outside the big three teams. And even though he did do well for the most part, you kind of sense that he was maybe being held back a little bit by the league he was in. So it's good to see that he's doing well in Turkey finally. And then as for Cueva, yes, it hasn't been ideal in terms of the fact that he isn't starting, but it's very difficult for him because they play, Krasnodar plays in a 4-3-3 and the only real position he can occupy is the left wing. But Victor Clayson, the Swedish international who did so well at the World Cup, has been in outstanding form. And up front, Ari Da Silva, the big signing from, ironically, Lokomotiv Moscow, where Jefferson Farfan plays, is the big money signing and will probably always get the opportunities. But in that false nine role, Cueva looked very good. He was lively. He was causing all sorts of problems for the opposing defense. Um, and I think having that ability to just kind of roam wherever he wanted on the pitch really, really helped him. Did all right off the bench in the league game three or four days later, but didn't have as much of an impact because then at St. Petersburg basically closed the game down. They had the lead um, and basically just shut up shop and made it very difficult for Krasnodar. But Cueva's getting there, and I think it's a good thing that he's had a couple of very good appearances, much like with Trauco. Maybe now that he has built up that match fitness, we'll see an improved performance in these friendlies. Now, about Hurtado, uh, I wanted to say something that might be controversial to some people, but not too controversial at the same time. It's that the Turkish League is not much worse than the Portuguese League. I mean, five years ago, that would have been a crazy thought. But if you look at it now, Portuguese, the Portuguese League has declined. It's been steady decline for many years. And uh, the Turkish League has kind of stagnated. It's not improved. It's not gotten worse. Yeah, the Portuguese League, I mean, you got to think about it. Benfica got zero points in the group stage last year. And Porto losing 5-0 to Liverpool at home. When only a few years prior, they had beaten Bayern Munich 3-1 at home. So, without that, it really make a step down. Uh, maybe, maybe the club could be a step down, but in terms of the league, he's, it's kind of the same for him. What do you think, Peter? Well, the thing with Portugal and and Turkey is there's more investment across the Turkish Super League, whereas a lot of clubs in Portugal are struggling financially, like you wouldn't believe. Like they are just hemorrhaging money, and Benfica. And we've now seen Porto as well. They're dipping into the South American market more than they are kind of giving chances to their academy players. And they obviously have fantastic academies. And that's hurting 
the domestic game as well because a lot of Portuguese players aren't getting their opportunities. Some are, but not a lot are. Yes, Turkey still has problems with match fixing, money laundering, but what league doesn't? We have the same problems in Peru. So yeah, you're seeing, I think, the fruits of that labor because of the fact that there's been more investment in the Turkish game. The TV deals are more lucrative compared to where they are in Portugal. And so you're seeing those, let's call them second-tier teams, like outside of your Besiktas, your Galatasaray, your Fenerbahce, you're seeing the Konya Spores, the Istanbul Bashak Shahirs. They're getting the Champions League revenues, the Europa League revenues. They're getting revenues from the TV deals. And that's allowing the league to grow a lot more in terms of the quality on the pitch. So it's good to see Urtalo getting a chance to go over there and to prove his worth because I feel like the situation he's in now, far more ideal than what he was at with Vitoria Digimiraish. No, I agree. I don't know if this is a step up, but it's certainly not a step down. And then we got to give our plan to Urtalo because even though he doesn't really play in the biggest clubs of Europe, he has played in some decent league. I mean, he's not playing in Slovakia. He's playing in Turkey and Portugal. I mean, all due respect to Slovakia, but they're not, it's not quite as good as those two. My point stands is that Urtalo has been one of the most consistent Peruvians in Europe in many years. We got to give applause for him as well. He doesn't even start for Peru, so... I guess the next player we can talk about is Alexander Cayens, who we've been asking for for a long time. Uh, I don't know if this is his chance to shine. I mean, Gareca likes to show his full lineups into friendlies, at least these friendlies. And it was, I don't know what's going to approach next month. But Cayens is a player I've been asking for for a long time. And uh, he's finally back. They finally gave him another chance, although it was an emergency call-up. Uh, I don't remember for who it was for. I think it was for Abraham. No, I don't uh, Araujo. Okay, well, Abraham also didn't get called up, but I, you're, I think you're right there. And Cayens uh, is, is a provocative little player who's been very consistent in the MLS. And say what you want about the MLS, but he is, he's probably one of the better defenders in the Eastern Conference at least. And um, I like that he's here. I like that he's here, and I, I like to see him get a few minutes at least to see how he does. So Cayens um, is a player I'm excited to watch him. Uh, no doubt it's going to be Ramos and Santa Maria at least in the first game, which is silly because Santa Maria has been terrible for Puebla lately. Uh, even before he got benched, he, he got benched precisely because he was terrible, which sucks because I like Santa Maria. I think he's a very technical player, but um, he's not been very good at all. So, Peter, what do you think on this whole matter? What do you want to see from Kayans in general? Well, I mean, the ideal scenario is that he starts. I don't think he does in either game. We know he won't against Chile because the 11 is pretty much set at this point, as you mentioned. But in terms of what I want to see from him, I hope he does get an opportunity, even if it's 20 or 30 minutes, because his form warrants it, as you pointed out. He's been consistently one of the best defenders in MLS. He's not on that pedestal, I think, because of the fact that he's not producing highlight reel moments every game, if you kind of get my gist. He doesn't have to stretch out to make that last-ditch tackle, or he doesn't pass the ball 90 or 100 times a game, although he is a very accomplished passer of the ball because he's always in the right position and doesn't need to overexert himself. And maybe because the fact that he is Peruvian and came from the lower leagues in Spain, maybe not a lot of people pay attention to him for that reason, but he's been amazing. And I think he deserves this. Yes. Different circumstances because both Abraham and Araujo both got hurt. Um, Araujo though was the first one to withdraw and that's why Cayenne's got called up, but give Gareca credit. He had other options. Uh, we know the center back depth is very, very strong. The fact that he gave Gaians a chance, it shows that, you know what, the grudge is over. Alexander, come back in, and you are now allowed to to show your worth and see if you are able to keep your spot past this month. So I'm I'm glad to see that. Like like I was saying, speaking of Gareca, 
uh, it's good that he showed it. I guess you could say a blank check here. He started to like get rid of the grudges, but my only concern is that he really has to start calling new players up because this is the time to call them up. I mean, it's good that he's showing faith to his players, but he's he's gotta like you can't stick with the same players forever. You gotta experiment, and this is the perfect time to do so. I wouldn't say uh, not call up certain players like Yatuna, but at least call someone up and give someone else up and give them a chance, a few minutes if they're not working out, something like that. Well, the the thing is though, like I'm so back and forth about this because I do definitely think that there should be new blood coming in. But then on by the same token, you see situations like Italy where they don't know what their best eleven is and they're constantly changing the squad. And we know what Juan Carlos Osorio did with Mexico and what he'll surely do with Paraguay. I mean, he called up forty players for this training camp, which kind of seems excessive. I get that he wants to see what he has at his disposal. But you just know he's going to be chopping and changing that squad like crazy. So my point of view is, yes, okay, call up new players if you are Ricardo Gareca. But I think he wants to ensure that they will 100% be a key cog in future squads going forward. That's why someone like Marcos Lopez got called up. Because he's young, he has potential, he impressed with the under-20s in Russia, the the group that went with the national team uh, as sparring partners. So that's why he got the opportunity. Calcaterra is in there because he offers something a little bit different that other midfielders don't have. He's a box-to-box presence. Um, he can play out wide, cut inside, and, and be a, a, a presence centrally. You know, that's why Gaines got called up because he's a ball-playing center back and so on and so forth, right? Same thing with Johan Madrid and Patricio Alvarez. So from that point of view, if the player is occupying a position or a role that isn't in the team and he has the potential to be able to contribute for at least a decent period of time, like the next year or two years, then sure, go ahead. But I think chopping and changing the squad is a dangerous thing to do because in the international game, as everybody knows, you have such little time with your squad. Squad chemistry and camaraderie is so massive. We saw how, or we, we see how close this Peru squad is with each other. And that translates to the pitch. And I think that's why they have such an advantage going into these Chile and USA games, because they know each other, they understand each other, they know their roles on the pitch, they have a clear style of play. Chile and the US, not so much, especially the US who don't even have a coach yet. So from that point of view, I completely understand why Gareca isn't doing it. And I think that it is the right way to go because you don't want to rock the boat. I think he will eventually kind of change it when the 2020 Copa America comes around and it's in the U.S., much like what happened four years ago. For now, I think he wants to keep the squad consistent and make sure that the chemistry is still there. And if the situation presents itself like a Lopez or a Calcaterra or a Madrid or whoever it happens to be, maybe a Jairo Concha in the future, then you call him up. But other than that, I don't think he wants to make too many drastic changes, and I completely agree with it. Well, I I think he makes some very strong points, Peter, but I can't say I agree with it because, I mean, I saw a call-up from Chile the other day, and it makes me think, we cannot end up like them. we got to stay more consistent. Mati Fernandez was called up for Chile against Peru. Mati Fernandez. That's like if you call up Humberto Suazo now. The team has stagnated so much that they're not even trying. They have to call up Mati Fernandez instead of trying new players. But I, it just baffles me that Mati Fernandez starts to get called up. Now, the thing, that, the thing I'm worried about is that if we just don't try new things, we're going to become the new Chile. Now, in Chile's case, I'm not sure they mind so much because Chile won two Copa Americas, and that's, that, that was a success generation for them. I mean, sure, they wanted to qualify for the World Cup, have another go at the, 
a miracle of the sandwich, I guess you could say it. And um, it would have been a nice turnout for them, I reckon, but it just wasn't to be because of the arrogance and whatnot. The only condition that where I wouldn't mind it so much is if uh, we win a Copa America or two. That's the only that's the only condition I accept, and we we're not guaranteed to win it. Like we're we're gonna go at it next year, I think, but we're not gonna be guaranteed to win it. So I just want to look at the future where the two is thirty five years old. We're still calling them up. That'll be that'll be quite embarrassing. Yeah. But who's but who's to say that that will happen? Like we don't know that it will. And Gadeka, I'm sure, is looking at this. That's why he is now involved in the youth setup a lot more. He has more say on the sporting side. He's helped implement a style of play across the youth national teams, which they're all abiding by. Daniel Ahmed said some great things about the U-20s when it came to their tactical knowledge. Um, Exactly. And the U-17s have some promising players coming through. And he's given them a chance. Like, it's not like he hasn't changed the squad. He's, He's obviously some of this is based on necessity because players are hurt and or unavailable. But he's going to start with Ruiz. He brought in Santa Maria. Um, he's given minutes to certain players. The only gripe I have that I think you would probably agree with is I really wish that he would give more time to those regular call-ups who did not start every game. I understand at left back, there's basically no proper backup for for Miguel Trauco because Nilsson Loyola has proven to be pretty incompetent whenever he has played. Um, but why not give more minutes to... To Aquino, why not give more? And I'm talking like when everybody's available. Why not give more minutes to him? Why not allow Paulo Hurtado to start and reward him for his form? Maybe drop Edison Flores for a game or two because you know what you're going to get from him, and throw in, you know, a, a Jordi Reina or if he was in the squad, a Christian Benavente, whoever it happens to be. That's the one gripe I have with Gareca. What he's done has worked out well, and it's not to say that he will not change the squad in a year or two after the 2019 Copa America is over. In fact, I think that's exactly what he is going to do. And until that happens, we we should maybe reserve judgment. It's a fair criticism to point out because, again, Chile has stagnated in a lot of ways when it comes to their player pool. I don't think Peru has that problem based on the surface and or the potential outlook of things. The international game is completely different than the club game, but if you're not going to give chances to your players in the international game, in Peru at least, then it's hard for them to kick off. Like, that's what he did in 2016 Copa America, and it's worked, it worked wonders for him. I mean, oh, they, yeah. they, they all had these tournaments, but you can see that the squad wasn't the finished product yet. Like, you can see there was, they still struggled to get forward and whatnot. It was mostly defense that kept them at bay. Mm-hmm. And uh, then against, um, after, and two months later against Argentina, they, they did look closer to the finished product. And they, they actually started dominating games, yep. which they couldn't do with the Copa America. Like uh, they even even against Brazil when they won, Brazil dominated in large parts of that game. Oh yeah, they just, they just, they just couldn't find any <laughs> they just couldn't find any way to find the back of the net. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think we should wait to 2020. I think we should try um next month at least. I, I said it should be this month, but I'm going next month because next month is against two winnable opponents. But Gareca has to start treating these friendlies take these friendlies so seriously. I think that's one thing that's really cost us at the World Cup and 1982 as well, uh, where they won all their friendlies in, uh, in the World Cup. They just didn't do as well. I don't think it had to do anything to do with the friendlies. I think it had to do with the quality of the opposition and the fact that they weren't getting those games against quality opposition all the time, right? Uh, Brazil had the same problem kind of going into the World Cup where they didn't play the level of a Belgium or a France or whoever because they just ran through South America after Chiche came in. And that's kind of the problem with a lot of teams outside of UEFA, right? So I don't think it was necessarily the friendlies. 
you have to realize too that the reason why I think Peru got through South America, South American qualifying is because unlike the Argentinas and the Colombias and basically every other team outside of Brazil, there was no consistency with those teams. There was consistency with Peru. And the more you play together, the, the more that will benefit you in the competitive games. As I mentioned, the backup should get more time. And I do actually think that in November, that is probably when Gareca will maybe change the squad a little bit because they're based on Peru. They're, they're going out to the provinces in, in Trujillo, I believe, for the second game. I keep on pretty sure. Arequipa or Trujillo, one of the two, but they are going outside. And we saw in the June 2017 friendlies when they were in Peru against Paraguay and Jamaica, that's when they called up different players and gave chances to different players. So I wonder if he does the same thing here. And then when 2019 begins, he kind of goes back to, okay, this is my settled 11. We're focused on Copa America and trying to get as far as we can in that and maybe potentially win it. But for now, I have no gripes with his selection for the most part. Now, uh, before we move on to their opinions on uh, the games, the upcoming games, or, or previews, better said, uh, I did want to see one call-up that uh, kind of annoyed me that they called, called up, and it's uh, uh, Steven Rivalaneda, who has been by a mile even better in Butron. He's been better in every player of the Peruvian League at the moment, Rivalaneda. And in my opinion, he's always been better than Duarte and Casada. I mean, I've never rated Casada, and uh, even without his game time, I don't get why it was ever called up, because Rivalaneda has always been better. And I will, I've, loved, I've always liked him better than Duarte as well. Duarte is a good keeper, but uh, I've always been a bigger fan of Riva Aneda when he was at Alianza Atletico. And now he's proving, that, I don't know if he's proving that he's better than Duarte, but he's proving the good keeper that he actually is, that he wasn't able to show because he was playing for a relegation battle last year. I'm keen to see him next month. I, I don't think he'll start. I, I kind of think he'll be like Armani in the first few months. And uh, Ayalese is better Riva Aneda anyway, so even, even if uh, that, that doesn't matter too much anyways. Yeah, uh, now we can move on to the previews. So, like I said, we're going to do Peru versus Chile. This one is probably the more contested of the two, I think. And uh, I think that uh, Chile is declined. Alexis Sanchez is missing for this one. Chile is, um, we're not going to, I don't think we'll struggle too much. I think we're, I'm, I'm a bit confident for this one because uh, Vidal is at the same level as he used to be. Sanchez is not in the squad. Eduardo Vargas is not there. Eduardo Vargas has punished us many times in the past. Oh, yes. I think this is a game I'm quite confident. I'm not sure if we'll win it, but I think we'll at least draw it, at, at the very least, because um, they're not the same team. Rueda has made a lot of changes, but they're not impressed in the previous friendlies. I'll, I'll say that much. They've done all, all right, but they're not really impressed as they used to. They're kind of like a Peru 2014 now. So, uh, Peter, what do you think on these friendlies? Look, the last four games Peru's played against Chile, that's the Copa America semifinals, the two qualifiers, of course, I can't remember what, what the one before the Copa America was. I think it was the game that Peru actually won in the 2014 yeah. qualifiers. We've lost, we've, lost three, we've lost three of the four. Yeah, but I will argue, especially in the last meeting in Santiago, Peru outplayed Chile in almost every one of those games. But well, mentally, in, the, in the second half, in the second half, that first half in the, in the qualifiers was atrocious. But the overall point is you concede an early goal to Chile in that game, then you concede late after you tie it. The previous game in Lima in the qualifiers, Cueva gets sent off stupidly for something that was completely avoidable. And even though you took the lead in that game with 10 men, you end up losing because you were down a man and you were just completely fatigued by the end of it. Then in the Copa America semifinals, okay, yeah, probably outplayed in that game too, but Zambrano getting sent off, what else is new, really put you at a disadvantage. That's been the only real barrier 
to Peru beating Chile in these last few games. It's just the mental lapses. This team, even compared to that game, I believe it was in November of 2016, might have been October of 2016. The differences from then to now in terms of their discipline and just their overall togetherness, completely different. And I think the fact that you have an experimental Chile side, some of whom are not in the best of form, you mentioned some of them there, but you also have inexperienced players like Liknovsky at center back, who's not used to the big stage really. No, he's still there. He's, going, he's probably going to start. So that's one player who's going to be in decent form. But as you mentioned, yeah. Vidal, not in great form. Gary Medel, his level has dropped since moving to Turkey. Um, Nicolas Castillo, yes, a great finisher, but isn't getting regular minutes at Benfica at all. He's never been good for Chile either, so. No, although he has had some moments uh, in the friendlies. I, I'm not, like, I've never been impressed by, by, having, by Chile, to be honest. I, I've always thought he was better at club level. Yeah. I he's kind of like the Rubias. He's the way. reverse Eduardo Vargas in that he doesn't do well for the national team, but does do well for his club. That's what <laughs> yeah. he is. He's the anti-Vargas. But anyway, um, for that reason, I think Peru has the best chance ever to beat Chile. Plus the fact that it's a new coach. It's, you know, all these factors. I'm sure... I don't want to guess, but I'm sure that because it's in Miami, it's going to be a pretty pro-Peru crowd. There will be Chilean fans there, obviously, but I think all those factors put together, Peru should be able to win it. I'm going to say, if I had to pick a score prediction, I'll say 2-1 for Peru. And the only real thing I want from this game is that Raul Ruiz Diaz has a system to play in where he can thrive because you kind of saw the semblances of it against Germany. He had one great chance and shot it wide. You hope that he can build on that and that we see a system that fits Ruidias' strengths, especially because he's in such great form with the Seattle Sounders. The thing that kind of annoys me about Ruidias is that like his movements don't seem to replicate that of the club level, I mean, uh, the national team. And I say that because like when I watch Seattle Sounders, uh, when I usually watch Seattle Sounders, usually I think his name is Venson. Yeah. Venson is the one who's providing the long balls to Ruidias more than Lodeiro, if you ask me. So like I think about that. And uh, I think about well, Yotun who plays similarly, but Yotun's long balls isn't getting over to Ridia. So I don't know if that's a Ridia's movements or if it's just Yotun being imprecise or lazy. Oh, so no. I'm, I'm kind of struggling. I'm kind of struggling to see which one it is. I'm not saying it's all Ridia's fault here. I'm just saying I, I just don't understand it. Uh, I just try to put my finger on what the problem is or why Ridia's isn't scoring that much for a national team level. If it's A, the higher level, B, Yotun being lazy and imprecise, uh, C, Ruidias uh, not having the same movements, or D, the players not understanding Ruidias' movements. So it's I think it's one of those four. What do you think, Peter? It's, it's definitely the latter because he hasn't played in a system that suits his strengths. He has scored yeah. buckets of goals in Mexico, playing with different players, it must be said. And then he goes to Seattle and he's having the same success. So if he can do it with two different club teams in two completely different leagues and styles of play, then it's clearly the fact that he doesn't have a system with the national team that is tailored to his strengths. And that's not his fault because the starting striker normally is completely different in style to him. He's a target man. So, so it's, 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 far from it's, that. it's entirely up to Gareca to get the team to keep the ball on the ground, to be dynamic, to have a little bit of creative freedom, and to get Ruidias into the box, hit him with low crosses, hit him with through balls, Make sure that he gets that run off the last shoulder of the defender. And if he gets the ball in the penalty area, he will almost always score it, as you can see by when you watch him. 
and backed up by the numbers because he's one of the most clinical finishers in North America. So I feel like if you just simply play to his strengths, stop playing it so direct and hitting balls over the top, you will end up seeing a better Ruiz for the national team. All right, well, that's, we have a lot of questions. So let's talk about Peruvian USA. A uh, little brief before we go on to the questions, which will close up the pod, which it will take a while, by the way. So we're not in the pod yet. But um, first of all, Peru versus USA, which uh, I think this is the easier of the two games. I think Peru has to win this one, and I'm, I'm more than confident we will. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a big scoreline because we're playing in the USA, of course. So they're going to be at home. Peru winning big time at home. So only, I've only seen it once in my lifetime, and that was against Paraguay. So... Um, I don't think that we'll, we'll win to that extent, but the USA are in shambles right now. They're in a, they're in a more rebuilding transition period than Chile. And uh, I know a few American uh, football fans who said they are not confident at all that they would, they would win because honestly, the USA, they're like, let me put it this way. Peru in 2014 and 2010, when they didn't qualify for the World Cup, they went up to North America, played teams like Honduras and uh Panama team two, either barely missed out on the World Cup and qualified and beat them for fun. I mean, they, they just beat them for fun when they were Peru were very good. Now Peru are good and they're playing the team that didn't qualify in CONCACAF. The USA rightly didn't qualify in CONCACAF because I saw them in the Gold Cup and I don't know how they won it because they were not very good at all. The defense was so open. <laughs> the, the formation was not very uh, rigged, I guess you could say. I, I do think Peru should be winning this because the USA have not been very good at all in recent times. And we're um, a superior team. And like they don't even have a coach, like Peter said earlier. So, so yeah, I, I'm going to say 1-0 or 2-0 for Peru. I, I don't think I'll go much further than that. Coupled with the fact that they also don't have three or four regular starters, Pulisic, uh, Weston McKenney, and Tyler Adams, the latter two have formed a nice partnership in midfield the last couple of games. That midfield is going to be there for the taking. Uh, they have lost one of their, obviously, best attacking weapons. So that plays right into Peru's hands. If they don't have their way in this game, I'll be kind of disappointed. Sure, they probably won't dominate, as you mentioned, because that's just not what Peru does, really. In fact, I kind of expect them to play down to the level of the opposition, as they normally do. Um, so I'll go with 2-0 for this. I mean, again, the U.S. doesn't really have a clear 11, a clear playing style. That's coupled with the fact that they don't have a coach. And don't be surprised that there are more Peruvians in Connecticut in that game than there are American fans. Because anytime they play an opposition from the Americas, they are heavily, heavily uh, outdrawn. So I imagine it'll be another home game. Anyways, uh, let's let's move on. Let's, Let's go to the questions. All right. So we'll start first with... The question that'll be easiest to answer, uh, Luis Cardenas uh, asked us at Chato underscore Luis underscore 305, asked us, who should Peru's captain be for these friendlies? I think either Luis Advincula or Pedro Gaese. Christopher Viscardo and I had a similar question last week. I believe we came to the agreement that it should be either Christian Ramos or Luis Advincula if Ramos doesn't get the captaincy. Uh, with Gaese being kind of the third choice. So, yeah, I think either one of those three would end up getting it. I don't know what you uh, think, Brian. I think Ramos, personally, because Ramos has been the captain uh, a few times in the past, and he has the most experience with it. So I think I think Ramos will be my choice. We should think he was a bit younger, but he has also been in the national team a long time, so I guess you could also say him. Pedro Alese, I still think uh, he's, the jury's out on him. But I, I think Ramos and Abincula are definitely my picks. Okay. Uh, so let's move on to maybe a couple more tactical questions. 
A uh, question from at United Peruvians asking, do you think only starting Raul Ruiz up top against Chile is a mistake? Brian, if you want to start with this and I'll come in after, you can go ahead. Well, we kind of already answered this earlier. Uh, like I said, uh, Peter Peter kind of had his own hunch and uh, I had my own personal hunch as well. Uh, I said that I can't really pick out why Ruiz is doing so poorly. It, we tend to agree that it's because of the system. Organeca, you can even put the play Organeca, which is what Peter said earlier. Like I said, I think I lots of people say Lodeiro is the one who runs Seattle, but I think Svensson is the one who puts all the all through balls or all the long balls of Ruiz. That's what I've noticed, anyways, for Seattle Sounders. At Monarcas, it was always Diego Valdez. It was always Diego Valdez, which is kind of different because Diego Valdez is, isn't the deep line playmaker. He's more advanced. And Lodeiro is more advanced, but Svensson is deeper, if you get what I mean. So it's kind of a hard one to pick out, but we kind of already answered earlier. Um, so again, another question from United Peruvians asking, one substitute you are excited to see get some playing time. So, what, Brian, who's the one substitute that you want to see get some playing time? Nobody, really, except for Cayennes, but nobody <laughs> else. Because uh, I've already seen all these players play uh, at some point for the national team. I was a bit disappointed with the call-ups. Like I said, I was hoping for someone else, someone new like uh, Rivadaneira or Arias, Alexis Arias. So I'm not really too uh, fussed here. I think this is a chance for him to impress. He won't start, but I think he'll get a, he might get a few minutes off the bench. For me, Paulo Hurtado, because of the form he's in, um, I think he deserves to have an extended look. I doubt he starts either game, but if there's anybody outside of the starting 11 for the Chile game that deserves at least some minutes, it's for me, Paulo Hurtado, 100%, just because he's been lighting it up in Turkey. So yeah, next question from Abel Gamarra at Abelanda81, asking, what are the chances that we will see Santa Maria and Alexander Cayens as a starting defensive pair. Uh, he he asked in either of the two games, We it's going to be Santa Maria Ramos against Chile. So then, Brian, what are the chances that we'll see Santa Maria and Cayens starting together against the U.S.? Depends on how uh, the first game goes, I think. You know, I think one of the Santa Maria Ramos has to be a disaster for um, Cayens to start in the uh, USA game. And out of those two, I think the higher chance to be a disaster is Santa Maria, who has not been in good form at all. I think Ramos has been steady in the last few years. I mean, I haven't seen a disastrous Ramos since the 2014 qualifiers. I don't think that Kainz is going to start here. If Kainz is going to start, then it's going to be in Santa Maria's place and not Ramos. So I think we're more likely to see that. What do you think, Peter? So Santa Maria recently with Puebla has switched from being a left-sided center back to a right-sided center back. So I would imagine that if Kainz and Santa Maria played together, it would be Santa Maria moving to the right side because they both play a similar position. If I think it'll happen, I don't think so. Mind you, Christian Ramos was absolutely awful against Holland. And I think that there's a reason why he was dropped for the Germany game and Araujo came in in his place. I I forgot about him. I I always picked up the other players uh, against the Netherlands. But yeah, he was pretty bad there. He was. was, You could definitely see that he was not up to the pace of the game. Now, I don't think that'll be a problem against Chile. And for that reason, I think you'll end up seeing the same starting centre-back combination. I imagine if, and obviously if this were the case, Gaians probably wouldn't be here. But if Araujo or Avram was in the squad, I would imagine Gareca would be more willing to change up the centre-back combination, knowing that he knows what he can get out of those two. So I don't think we see Gaians starting. I imagine he'll get like 20, 30 minutes in, in one of those games, maybe in both. But I think the odds are kind of low unless someone gets hurt or... 
as you mentioned, Brian, one of them just has an absolutely awful game. So next question about squad selection, again from Abel Gamarra asking, should Pedro Aquino start over Renato Tapia? I think yes, because Aquino has been standard form for Leon. And Tapia, you can always get the argument that he needs some game time, so you can start him there. And it's a friendly, it's no risk. So I guess uh, it doesn't really hurt uh, anybody. But uh, I do think Aquino, I think based on form, I think Aquino needs to start. Uh, Leon fans have been praising him. Uh, he's in a bit of his own barbershop today, which is kind of pointless, <laughs> but it's an interesting thing to note. But Aquino has developed a lot since he's moved to Mexico. When you move, he moved to Lobos, you can see he kind of struggled with the pace of the game slightly. Uh, he got a lot of yellows and reds. He still kind of, he does, still does, but he doesn't get as, as quite as often. He used to get yellows every single game for Lobos. Uh, now he has the statistically he has the most tackles in the Liga MX uh, only after Alexander Mejia. I think it's 8.50 tackles per game. Uh, I don't remember the exact number. Tackles and was, interceptions per 90 minutes, so it's combined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think Aquino should start because uh, both, of them, both of them are very similar players, level-wise and uh, style-wise. If the question is, should he start, which it is, I think absolutely he should based on current form. Will he? Definitely not. I don't think in either game because Tapia just came back from an injury. He is the regular starter there. So I don't think he gets a look in as a starter, unfortunately, because he has been so good. But should he start? Absolutely he should. There's absolutely no debate about that. And for the reasons Brian mentioned. And if you want a more in-depth look at how he's done recently, check out my Peruvians Abroad Roundup on the website because I went in-depth on kind of what he's been able to do so well with Leon uh, in the Apertura. So final question from Luis Awayo at El Awayo 98 asking us, are there any specific individual or zonal matchups you're looking forward to seeing in either of these games? I myself have a zonal matchup, but I will get to that after Brian answers if he has any sort of specific matchup that he's looking forward to seeing not really like especially I, I can't speak for the usa because i haven't really seen the uh you the, the usa uh, as much like i've seen a, a few times for the world qualifiers but like you said this is a whole transitional period for them they're missing a few of their key players so i don't know who they have at the moment so i can't really speak for that uh as for chile i i guess a team of Vidal. that's about it really uh, the, 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 the match we really want to see was Villarreal Sambrano, the, the rematch after the, after <laughs> Villarreal should have been sent off for touching Sambrano's face in the Copa America semifinal. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Ronaldo's sending off at Valencia was the right sending off, that, but we always have to look back at Vidal. Uh, Vidal should have been sent off in that semifinal because he broke the rules and he wasn't sent off. Correct. Hindsight. For me, I'm just looking forward to the zonal matchup in zone 14 which is basically the the area of the pitch just in front of the penalty area in the center sort of 25 to 35 yards away from goal especially against chile because i think the matchups there are so intriguing and as the old cliche goes matches are won and lost in the midfield so you've got tapia and yotun who i think have equal sort of intrigue around them just based on how they perform Tapia, because he hasn't been playing recently, only has one star for Feyenoord since returning from injury. And Yotun, as I mentioned, has not really been up to the usual standard he has held for the last couple of years. And he's going up against, even though he is out of form and not playing, still a very good player for Chile, Arturo Vidal. Uh, Diego Valdez, who is a very underrated playmaker in Mexico, probably one of the, the best sort of number 10s that nobody talks about in Liga MX. 
So I'm really looking forward to that sort of battle in that area because I feel like either one of them has an equal chance of kind of coming out on top. Gary Medell, not as fast as he once was, never really was a quick player. So I feel like maybe that's an area Peru could exploit. Uh, Vidal, as we know, can be a very rambunctious but effective player because he goes box to box, um, does maybe occupy a bit more of an attacking role for, for Chile, but still very responsible with his defending. Uh, and then Valdez is a very creative player in his own right. So we'll see how kind of that all lines up. But other than that, pretty much nothing else I'm looking forward to the most, but should be a very intriguing game against Chile as it always is in El Clásico del Pacifico. Yep. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this pod. So my Twitter handle is B underscore Bertie 98. Peter, what is yours? As always, at GalindoPW, follow the show slash the podcast at Peru Waltz and subscribe to us on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, all that stuff. And leave a review on iTunes as well if you are willing to. Thank you for listening, and uh, the Peru Waltz team is signing off. Join us next week. Corrubiños en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas. Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León. Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección.